0: Well, you heard of, I heard some folks say, well, boy, we heard a lot of bad news here. Yeah, you've enjoyed the forum. The comments you're giving me back are, are tremendous, and uh, it's very edifying to, to chat with you and get feedback and things like that. The uh, question no, is, can't what? Hear you. can't hear you. You'll hear me. How's <coughs> that? Where do we go from here? Well, I've, I have found over the years that when you talk with people, one thing that's, that's critically missing for many people are reference points. We're fortunate that because we believe in the traditional faith, that we have our primary reference point intact. What I mean by reference point is simply, you can be in your own bedroom at night, but you can be a little bit unsure of yourself. But the moment you bump into the corner of the bed or the corner of the chest, you know that it's three steps down this way, three steps that way, and you can sit down and you never, never even see the bed. Now, we need to apply the faith and the teachings of the faith. We have the theological teachings of the faith, but the church also has teachings in the area of the social doctrine and Catholic action. And I have found that as I talk with most Catholics about these concepts, that there's a beginning of a similar glaze over in their eyes that there is with the general public when you start talking about things in relation to government and international affairs and things like this. So we're gonna to touch today on establishing a, re- a couple of reference points. Now as Father Greenwell and I talked about this presentation, one thing that we thought might be important is because of this incident on September 11th and the war fever that's being generated from it, it's important to establish an understanding. Most people really don't understand what their form of government is. They don't understand the tactics that are being used against us. And so what I'd like to try and do for you today is establish some reference points that you can look at these things and judge by them, and then we'll bring this into perspective with a 1926 book dealing with Catholic action. Now, we're going to, first of all, Paul, if you could go ahead and turn that first chart chart around. It's important (coughs) to to step, you know, when you watch the news at night and you hear these various, oh, actually, you can sit down for a minute. We're gonna chat about this for a minute. You hear these news media people talk about right-wing, left-wing, middle-of-the-road centrist, religious fanatics, uh, and all kinds of labels and terminology. And when you sit a person down and you start to let them talk back to you to see if they really understand any of this, most people really don't understand it. But interestingly enough, in the madness of the minds, most of the... Peter Jennings, and the Tom Brokaws, and the Dan Rather's and the average political science professor, there is a method to the madness, and that method to the madness is that they operate on a political spectrum, which pretty much came about at the beginning of this century. Now in, in, in technical terminology, it represents the dialectic, which we'll get into just momentarily. But this is what we're going to talk about here, this, this political spectrum right here. Now you'll notice it does have a right side, a right wing as they define it. Then there's a left side, a left wing as they would define it. <clears throat> then there's a middle of the road right there. So if, uh, if you are a middle of the roader, you will hear the news commentators say that, or the political science professors in the colleges, uh, you are a believer in democracy. Uh, We'll come to this in a minute. Uh, If you are a centrist, you are a middle of the roader. Not too far one way, not too far another way. Again, you want to be reasonable, moderate, intelligent. You want to be a middle of the roader in your thinking. Now, if you, in their minds, lean toward fascism or Nazism, you are leaning to the right. Well, of course, now if you are a right wing extremist, you're right there as a fascist and a Nazi. If you are a slightly to the left or left-leaning or a left-wing extremist, you believe in socialism or communism. Now, the true middle the roader believes in democracy. After all, we want democracy. That's what they're always telling us. We want more democracy throughout the world. That's what they continuously find us. The the problem with this particular political spectrum is it's full of lies. Absolute lies. Now, to give you all the documentation in this brief presentation they I'm not going to be able to do it, but we're going to just, just momentarily apply some common sense here. Now, if, if the stormtroopers kicking in the door have a Nazi swastika on their armband, or if they have the, the fascist symbol, the um, pay and or sledgehammer, whatever that is, it's used for fascism. Or if it says IRS on the armband, or if it says, uh, has a hammer and sickle, single. It makes no difference, stormtroopers are stormtroopers. <clears throat> and the particular definitions are irrelevant at that particular point. So when they create the illusion of the right wing and the left wing and supposedly these are opposites, it's a lie. But what it does do is it creates this, what they call a dialectic, which they can clash together, and we're gonna move to something else here in a moment to show how they create that. But the, the, the point of logic here is that total government on one side, total government on the other side of the spectrum, and they're represented to us as opposites. Now in the middle, we have democracy. Now, to show you the fallacy here, I think we just have to apply common sense. Uh, Most of us came through school and we pledged allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. Now, are we playing a semantic game or is there a definite difference? Well, there is a definite difference. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution guarantees that all states in this union will have a republican form of government. Republican in form, not as in party. So there is a definite difference, what what a republic system does is it codifies laws. To give you an example of a democracy that pertains to us especially is Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate tried to apply common sense in the beginning and avoid the crucifixion of our Lord, but the mob raised its voice and raised its voice and finally demanded Barabbas to be released. Democracy at work, ladies and gentlemen. What a republic does is it codifies the law to protect individual God-given rights, and the fundamental basis of the law is the Ten Commandments, and the teachings of our Lord in the New Testament. When you codify those laws on that basis, you create a system of government that's acceptable to the church. Now, so democracy, when applied to basic definitions of our country, uh, is, is totally false. We are not a democracy, we've never been a democracy. Demos is the, uh, uh, I think the Greek terminology for us, it's people rule, it's majority rule. A majority does not determine what is right and wrong. Those are determined for us in the Ten Commandments and the teachings of our Lord in the New Testament. So they're not subject to vote or opinion surveys. Okay, could you please change that now? Now, we're going to go to the uh, more what I simply call the common sense political spectrum, where you simply start on one side and you have 0% government, dig out any dictionary, that's the word anarchy. Dig out a dictionary for the word totalitarianism, and that is total government control of the population. Now those different little terms we were talking about, those four different terms in the beginning: communism, socialism, fascism, and Nazism are actually economic terms. They have various degrees of property, private property ownership under those totali- uh, under a totalitarian system. Under communism, there's no pretense there is no private property under communism. You have various degrees there to where actually under a fascist system, you have total control of the property, but at least you're allowed to have your name on the property. So you're just simply told if you have a business, for instance, who you should hire, fire, uh, what you should produce, and what price you charge. Well, if that sounds like some of the things we've been through in recent decades in the United States, well, you're you're beginning to get close to the picture here. But from zero to 100% government is the, the actual common sense political spectrum. Now, we were founded in the United States as a constitutional republic. Now, the constitutional republic of America reflects the Catholic principle of subsidiarity. A subsidiarity is just simply defined here as letting the smallest unit possible handle its affairs. When you can't handle a particular affair, well, then you move up to a larger setting. This is why you have a family, you have a town, you have a township, you have a county. Uh, you move to the state government, and then to the federal government. So if the, the, the way the American system is organized is, was to reflect the principle of subsidiarity. The, uh, the 1927 book, which I earnestly would urge you to take a look at, The Political Philosophy of St. Robert Bellarmine, uh, was written by a Catholic priest in the Indianapolis Diocese. And in this book... He, as he presents the writings of Saint Robert, he discusses the. Uh, Saint Robert, in his discourses, would talk about a more useful form of government. And what Saint Robert did is he he brought out those forms that are acceptable to the Church. And of course, a just monarchy is a limited system of government, if you will. A just aristocracy another acceptable form of government to the church. And then there's democracy, but you've got to, you've got to watch you with the wording and definition there. As St. As Robert brings out the information, what he was searching for was the best out of aristocracy, monarchy, and democracy, and to build those into a system that he called a more useful form of government. And as Father Rager presents the information, he develops it that the American system, perhaps not perfect, but at least something more in tune with what St. Robert Bellarmine. St. Robert Bellarmine, by the way, was a doctor of the Church, and I would probably say, in, from what I can see, the Church's leading authority when it came to governmental systems. He was a, uh, a cardinal of the Jesuit order. I understand uh, maybe even the only cardinal of the Jesuit order. But the the the, the application of common sense here is, is, is just simply critical. We don't need the, the wild definitions that the media presents us with. Now you'll notice in the upper left hand corner there, I have some things listed out, New World Order, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission. You heard a lot about secret societies over the last couple of days. While those secret societies do manifest themselves on the surface, with various entities that you, so to speak, can reach out more readily and touch. For instance, the Council on Foreign Relations is headquartered at 58 East 68th Street in New York City. If you would write to the Council on Foreign Relations and ask them for an annual report, they'll send it to you. Well, you might say, well, why do these guys represent such a threat? Well, it comes from, uh, uh, major phrase mentioned, the Dodd Committee, I'm sorry, the Reese Committee with its chief investigator, Norman Dodd. Well, one gentleman that was interviewed by Norman Dodd, it's a very extensive report, by the way, was a gentleman named Rowan Gaither. Now, Rowan Gaither was the head of the Ford Foundation back a number of years ago. Rowan Gaither, during the interview while Mr. Dodd was investigating for the Reese Committee, actually brazenly stated that our goal is to so change the American system as to make possible a comfortable merger with the Soviet Union. Well that statement was made in the 50s, and if that statement got much publicity at the time, probably most Americans would have kind of chuckled about that, well he's just some kind of an academic nut. But when you look now with 50 years of hindsight, the American system has been changed to be made more comfortably merged with the Soviet Union. <laughs> Uh, As a matter of fact, so much has surfaced even with the most recent terrorist incident on September 11th. The uh, Russians are going to help us now oppose terrorism. Ladies and gentlemen, the number one trainer, financier, and equipper of the international terrorist movement has been the Soviet Union slash Russia for decades. They're the number one. Uh, those of you who think that uh, well there's been big changes now and Russia doesn't represent a threat communism is dead you watch too much television you need to get some independent thinking and critical thinking going on on, on the situation uh, the prayers that we've been saying after mass either they mean something or they don't mean something the reality is that they do mean something that's why uh, our Pope asked us to do it so Let's just touch here on how this is being done. You see, the, the principally since the end of World War II, we've begun to move from there across this spectrum one step at a time. It's happened principally since World War II. You can go back to the FDR time period. Some folks who study things in depth say even Some things happened during the Civil War that initially started to undermine this basic principle here. Some things that were implemented uh, during the Civil War. But there's a tactic that's at work here. And it's a critical tactic that especially we're going to deal with it as it relates to terrorism and this war fear that's being generated. Paul, if you could make one more change, but just set that one down in front of the tripod so folks can reference it. Now you'll notice the fancy terminology at the top of the page there, called revolutionary parliamentarianism. Now, if you were to go down the street and survey people on what revolutionary parliamentarianism is, you, the best answer you would probably get is that's the new sandwich of McDonald's. Um, it actually is not. It is a, um, it is a strategy that was outlined by a Czech communist by the name of John Kozak it's in a way it's the oldest the oldest tactic of tightness it's in essence you take two arms and a big hairy body and you come along with one hand and you create problems then you come along with that other arm and oh look there's a problem there's a problem I've got a solution now This tactic, you can in a way draw an analogy to a C-clamp and you can put in that that, that little block of wood there uh, representing the American middle class and the American middle class businessman, the the genuine free enterpriser. You put that little block of wood in that C-clamp and you just tighten that thing right up and you start to get pressure from below. and You've got to hold it in place, you've got to justify the pressure from above. So, in essence, you come along and you create problems through the ACLU screaming, uh, this, that, and the other one, Equal Rights Commission, and you can go on and on with a litany of a multitude of organizations out there that are screaming and kicking and, oh, they're dirtying up the water. And all of a sudden, of course, we have the boys on top come along and say, you know, there's a problem. We have a piece of legislation. And tragically, that piece of legislation for the last 50 years almost consistently is one, 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 one step at a time toward total government. Now, that's wrong. It's wrong. I, I think the best way to perhaps understand why it's wrong and why we as Catholics have the obligation to oppose that is not only just simply from a patriotic standpoint, but also there was, at the end of the 1800s, a Cardinal Pai of Portier, France. And Cardinal Pye made the statement one time that when the church and the state are opposed, that it's almost impossible for a man to save his soul. What it is, is you're continuously into a compromised position one compromised position after another when you talk about talk to folks who've had some experience in Eastern Europe they'll tell you that when you live under that kind of a system you, you become either a saint or you go to hell because you get into a situation where you'll see somebody else's clothes maybe hanging out on a clothesline and you'll steal it because you don't have any or food or informing on your neighbor, you gradually put in a, just as a small example. One thing that drives me nuts is when I get pushed for my social security number. Or I get pushed for the social security numbers of my children, and they just put that vice on you. That they just turn that vice on you until finally you okay. I just give it to you because I'm tired of the hassle. Well, in a way, that's kind of how the Antichrist is going to work it. He's going to make it so comfortable for you to put his glove on that many, many, many people are going to do it. And then nobody had it. So, from a spiritual perspective, we've got an obligation to keep this from rolling across over here, let alone a, a patriotic perspective. Patriotism is just simply the highest natural virtue, it, it comes from the faith. It comes from the faith. Now, this tactic, this revolutionary parliamentarianism is at work in so many areas, and we could just talk about it all day, uh, in the areas of of create crime, and we're told that, well, it's because people like you own guns that that we have crime, or uh, create farming problems, create medical problems, and you create these problems the whole way across the board, education always consistently proposing solutions that lead to more and more and more government. Now the biggest thing on the stage here right now is terrorism. Now we of course have been told that Osama bin Laden did this to us on September 11th. Osama bin Laden may well have done it. But you do need to take a look at Who else benefits from this thing? Who is running an agenda on us that will also benefit from this? Well, we have to be brutally blunt here. If I were the chief psychological operations officer for the Mossad, promoting uh, a program to win support for for Israel and international Zionism, I've just got my work Taken care of for me, haven't I? With hitting those planes, with hitting those planes and hitting those buildings. Again, I'm not saying they did it, you understand. But I certainly could take a vacation if I was that chief operating officer uh, running the cywar operations for the for, for Israel. If the secret societies in America, Masonry, they're more surface instruments like the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. If they were genuinely surprised by this, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't five minutes where some of these guys were leaning back in their nice expensive leather chairs with those big Cuban cigars, realizing that it certainly represented an opportunity to promote their new world order agenda. The international communist movement, it promotes the agenda for the destruction of the United States. Any proposal that moves us across the spectrum in this direction, Ultimately, lead to the destruction of the United States and the, in, and the implementation of an antichrist system. <clears throat> well, I know that that people will ask you from time to time, "Well, what, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, are, are we going to turn this thing around?" I have to give you an honest opinion. I'm a long-range optimist, but I am a short-range pessimist. that reason being is when you look at the tidal wave of filth. That continuously pounds at us day in and day out day in and day out we've got some lessons that we have to learn now I'd like to to share with you uh, you know when, when it comes to solutions we need to understand the ultimate solution comes from the Catholic faith we need to as individuals implement these many devotions that we have, whether it's the enthronement of the sacred heart in the home, the rosary, the uh, all-night adoration. We have many devotions that we can tie ourselves to, and this has to be done. It's, folks, I have 27 years, I guess you could say, since I woke up to what was really going on. In 27 years, i probably talked to tens of thousands of people in various presentations, anywhere from rotary clubs to to gun clubs, to uh, political conventions. And you begin to realize after a while there's, there's a mi- missing factor here. Why, why is it that with all of these people, you get a, a few gems that respond, but most people by and large just pull the covers up and kind of roll over. Uh, I know that there are times when people just either pull up their, uh, their spiritual covers and roll over and But Don Julius being some type of religious and political fanatic, anyhow. So uh, those people just go back to sleep. But with our faith, we have the foundational basis spiritually and the teachings of the church to apply a solution to these things. In the short run, we're going to do some tough sledding. In the long run, in the final analysis, we are going to prevail. We have Our latest promise that we're going to prevail. In the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And a period of peace will be granted to men. But there's going to be tough sweating. You know, I, I would take your mind back to the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember that as our Lord began to sweat blood, that the scriptures quote Him as saying, Lord, not my will be done. Lord, that this chalice would pass from me, but not my will be done, but thine. Now, I don't think the scriptures record a response to God the Son at that point, but in, in Don Julius's simple mind, I can see God the Father saying back, My son, this is a price that has to be paid. Christian civilization is going to be restored but there's going to have to be a price paid. We're going to have to realize that the carrying of that cross has to be done. That those commitments in the spiritual and temporal arena that we have to make as Catholics and Americans, those commitments have to be made. The longer we put off making those commitments, the higher the price is going to be in blood and the loss of souls before this thing is straightened out. The sooner we make those commitments that we need to make, the less will be the price in blood and loss of souls. When it comes to Catholic action, I went through a dilemma a number of years ago wondering, well, should I really be involved in any type of patriotic activity? There is a concerted psychological warfare effort directed at Catholics to undermine the virtue of patriotism. And I had been subjected to some of that and I had gotten to the point where I I just had a very empty feeling. And it was very similar to the feeling I had before I came back to the church. And so I said to our Lord I said, "Lord, Lord, you know what the score is here. I need to know what the truth is. Well, within a matter of months, I would say, after I started petitioning that, I was with a Protestant friend of mine who now is Catholic. We were in a used hardbound bookstore. He was looking over the shelves on one other side, and I was a couple rows down from him, and he says, hey, there's a book over here titled Catholic Action. You interested in that? It was like a magnet being drawn in on us. The first book I had found, actually, on Catholic Action. And so that began an interesting journey for me. Then the second thing I ran across was the book of, on St. Robert Bellarmine's writings. You know, what we're, what we're faced with with, with with our faith, you know what, how is it that we can have the true faith, that this faith can build the civilization that it built? And yet, in the recent century past, go through the most precipitous decline that perhaps ever could be recorded as far as the influence of the church. Well, it's easy to sit around and bash the Zionists and bash the uh, masons and bash the communists and bash the Arabs. It kind of gives us a little psychological salve. But what we've got to start doing is we've got to start taking a look at the guy in the mirror. I'm going to direct the comments here more so at you men because I believe it's your men's responsibility, our as men's responsibility, to do what we're supposed to do as men. So I'm going to give you a few quotes from this Catholic Action book. And I'm going to take you outside of your comfort zone because this priest, Father John Daly, who wrote this book in 1927, you can tell this priest men business. He wanted to see the problem solved. But he did a very, very forthright and frank analysis of what was going on with Catholic action, why it was failing, and what was needed to be done to straighten the situation out. But you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable. You see, because he's looking at the guy in the mirror. He's looking at all the Catholics. He's looking at the the destruction of the Catholic spirit and why it's happening. I think Pope St. Pius X, this is a, a quote that I want to give you because this is a very powerful quote. He did this at the beatification of St. John of Arc in 1908. In our time, more than ever before, the chief strength of the wicked lies in the cowardice and weakness of good men. All the strength of Satan's reign is due to the easygoing weakness of of Catholics. I don't see anything there about Zionists, Masons, or Arabs. Now, 1927. These are quotes. Now, if you want to get in a fight with me with it the, over these quotes afterwards, I guess I'll have you line up at the door and we'll see how many rounds I can take before I go down. But uh, this is the priest talking now. Now this book has a nihilabstaternum from a Torah. No enemy from without can affect the church vitally. She has the promises of eternal life, but a failure of the true spirit of genuine Catholicism from within her ranks can sting her growth and rob the nation in which she lives of the beneficial influences of the fullness of her vitality. To assist, therefore, the mystical body of Christ to react victoriously against deleterious influences from within and without, and to extend to all men in the field at home and afar the saving message of the gospel, is the duty of every one of its members. This act of participation in the corporate life of the Church is what we term Catholic action. Its specific objects are those issues which transcend the interests of individuals and groups and are wholly centered in the welfare of the church as a whole. This sharing in the broader life of the church is the highest expression of militant Catholicism. This lack of social sense is characteristic of our highly individualistic age. We have brought into our Catholic life something of that unrestrained economic individualism, which is today the cause of so much unrest and disturbance in the ranks of modern society. This is where it really begins to hurt. This concentration of Catholic life solely on the individual interests of our soul has narrowed its ambit, dwarfed its outlook, distorted its right perspective, and crippled its wider influence. By living on the church without giving back to her corporate existence a proportionate return, we have often become parasite Catholics. I'll be brutal here. a wife of a friend coined the term, you've all heard of couch potatoes. Uh, This very fine Catholic lady coined the phrase, pew potatoes. Willingly or unwillingly, every Catholic has necessarily his share in the action of the church. For in the last analysis, the action of an army resolves itself into the action of the individual soldier. For the life of the Church, after all, is but the epitome of the lives of its individual members. In our everyday actions, we are writing her history. The thought of the Divine Master, the children the, quote, the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of white, naturally comes to mind when one reviews the world and finds the want of corporate action in the Church so universal among Catholic nations. The reason for this failure is that our love for the Church is quote, in word and in tongue and not in deed and in truth. This barrage against which the many attempts of Catholics on a national scale have been wasted is a composite form of human selfishness. Selfishness we all know is one of those subtle and elusive forces of human nature. Which often defies analysis. When detected, it will take refuge behind the highest principles and most disinterested motives to explain its presence. A close examination of the facts reveals that this deterrent of Catholic cooperation resolves itself, we believe, into three categories individualism, parochialism, and nationalism. How much time do I have? This social fact, dealing with individualism now, accounts for the inconsistency of a people always Catholic in belief, yet frequently uncatholic in action. This lack of Catholicism is reflected in the apathy and want of cooperation with which the larger issues of the church are faced. Christian charity is the living exemplification and the truest expression of Catholicism. And just as individualism has vitiated our idea of Catholicism, So, is it also responsible for our false conception of charity and our inadequate interpretation of its duties? An an attitude of apathy and unconcernedness toward the broader issues of the church is the natural consequence of this frame of mind. For when one has given to his religious life a purely individualistic outlook, it is next to impossible for him to rise to a higher plane and take his part in the corporate life of the church. His religion religion is one of mere personal sanctification and salvation. If at time the vision of a broader Catholicism breaks on the horizon, it soon vanishes away. To sum up, individualism, by the diversity of unsurrendering opinions, by the absence of Catholic outlook, and by its consequent distorted perspective of Christian charity, is ever at work against Catholic action. It goes into a description of parochialism, showing how there's a proper perspective of parochialism uh, in the sense of dedication to our parish, and that the ch- parish has the, the first claim that it's it's the uh, the in essence the embryo of of Catholic activity. But it also then goes on to show that a a warped or distorted parochialism keeps the the vision, the horizon of the parishioners limited to their parish in relation to the good sisters. We have, I have, I don't know if I should mention this or not, we have people at our own parish that do have, have an appreciation for our sisters. I actually had one comment one time, they ought to get out and get jobs. <laughs> Very, very, very sad, very sad. This man is choking on verovialism, obviously. No broader perspective. It goes on with nationalism, and uh, there's a quote from one of the popes in relation to patriotism, or what true patriotism should be as opposed to nationalism. This is Pope Pius XI. Love of country incites too many virtues and even too admirable Love of country incites to many virtues and even to admirable heroism when it is guided by Christian law, but it incites to grave injustice when it becomes unchecked nationalism, when it forgets that all peoples are brothers in one great family of humanity, that other nations have a right to live and prosper, and that it is never either wise or just to separate what is honest from what is useful." He goes on with some comments about extreme nationalism, uh, inciting hatred against other nations, and losing the perspective of of the rights of Catholics in other countries, and and this type of thing. With with concluding here, I I wanna go back to this creation of this war temperament. Along with terrorism, war is also a very strong means to affect change. As I mentioned, I'm an optimist in the long run, but I am a pessimist in the short run. I do believe this transition to total government is either going to be attempted or perhaps even accomplished. It will be an antichrist system. You'll have these people with the idea that we're going to march into the future with a Star Trek type of mentality. Uh, this New World Order phraseology is a term that they use to, to codify this system. Ladies and gentlemen, God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. Things happen to angels and men who shake their fist and say that they will not serve. Things happen to them. We've got to understand, though, that war and persecution are coming. They're coming as as, as confident as I am of the sun coming up tomorrow morning. Now, that being the case... Any reasonable and prudent man will implement what he needs to do to be prepared for that. You've got to do the devotions that we've talked about here over the course of the week. But we also, as prudent men, have to be prepared for if that time presents itself. Remember the lessons of the von Day that we heard about the persecutions of the 20th century. We've been so immune to this, we've watched Catholics in other nations be murdered on television. We've read of other persecutions in the history books. Our grandchildren, our children, and we are not going to learn about this war and persecution from the history books and in the comfort of a uncared living room or perhaps a bed that we're lying in watching the evening news. You're going to learn about it with your own eyes. You're going to live it. I go back to what I mentioned earlier with the Garden of Gethsemane. We have to understand, see, it's, the reason I'm an optimist in the long run, I, when I came to the realization that this cross is going to have to be carried by us when it comes to redeeming our civilization and our country, once I accepted that that was going to have to be done, I started to notice my optimism returning. We are going to prevail on the final analysis because Our Lady has promised it, Christian civilization will be restored. Implement those devotions. If you have all night adoration at your church, and if your name's not on that list, you really need to look in the mirror and come up with a reason. <clears throat> if you're not praying the rosary every day, I don't stand here in front of you and say to you, I get it done every day like I should. There are times when my one mind wanders so far, I will come back and I'm astounded that I'm actually there praying yet. But we have to work at it. We've got to do that rosary. And throw it in your home. If you want the sacred heart and throw it in your home, and for some reason it doesn't seem to be getting done, I want you to call me personally. I don't care where you are in the country. I want you to call me personally. And we'll get it done. Somehow, some way, we'll get it done. Say your prayers. Let us also start to study those things that the faith offers us. it's, It's not that we need to write something new here. All we've got to do is dust off the old books. The operating manuals are still there. The book on Catholic action that I'm quoting from, with the help of my friend Terry, we've made copies of that book, and they're available on the back table. You need to read it. You need to read the analysis that's presented of Catholic action. You need to read about the organization, the training of leadership. You need to read it with a yellow highlighter. Because if I could have possibly quoted the whole book to you today, I would have done it. But obviously you're not going to tolerate that. But if you don't read, if you're not going to start studying these things, then there will be no solution. There'll be an ultimate victory, but it's going to be at a terrible price in blood and loss of souls. Again, it relates to us individually. Our actions are writing the history of the church. Now, there's a, a, a saying that relates to when you're faced with a crisis: it's either lead. When you're faced with a crisis, either lead, follow, or get out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not going to be any get out of the way with this. You're not going to be able to just pass it all off on the folks down the road or the folks in the next town. Your soul, the souls of your family, the temporal welfare of your home and community are directly in the crosshairs of this whole agenda. You're not going to get away from it. So you've got the resolve to do something about it. Understanding the correct Catholic perspective on government. I know I really didn't understand it until I got the book with the writings of St. Robert Bellarmine. Read the book, people. When we talk about sacrifices, if you don't like to read, read the book and offer it up as a sacrifice. You've got to have that knowledge. You've got to understand what the church's perspective is on government. What the church's perspective is on Catholic action. If you don't understand these things, well, you're, you're just going to make a higher price in blood and loss of souls before this thing is straightened out. I want to part with uh, one brief story because you know, over the years, as I've, I've, I've chatted with folks, you'll get uh, older folks that'll, oh, well, Don, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know I'm, I'm just too old to be involved in this kind of stuff. Too old. Well, I want to tell you about a story about a guy by the name of Sam Whitfield. Now, Sam Whitfield lived up in New England. As far as I know, Sam, Sam wasn't a Catholic. But I'll tell you, Sam sure had a Catholic spirit. Now, Sam was 83 years old. And the little town he lived in was called Monotomy. Monotomy was Maybe five miles outside of Boston, maybe a little bit more than that. But it was on the road between Boston and Lexington, Massachusetts. And this is the morning of April nineteenth, seventeen seventy-five. Sam had been following the, the situation with what developed in the colonies. Sam uh, Sam had actually been in the, uh, the the King's Dragoons. Now the dragoons were, were cavalry. And he'd retired, he retired in the colonies how he ended up there I don't know for certain but Sam had become an American and that morning of April 19, 1775 Sam, he watched them go by he watched the march go by his home the British forces as they were moving up the road to Lexington and up to Concord to confiscate the firearms and powder that had been stored there and the, the, the historical record mentions that Sam's wife had said well you know really shouldn't do this and it's only just really a brief statement but I can, you can just hear it can't you? Oh you're told Sam what are you doing? Sam had gotten out his rifle and he'd gotten out two pistols and he had a saber and you just hear it can't you? Oh Sam, Sam what are you doing? You're too old you'll let know, the young bucks do this kind of thing but no, no not Sam Sam says well they're going to be coming back down the road. He didn't even really know what was going to happen. Day. He didn't know if there was really going to be any resistance. But Sam knew what he had to do. So he went out and he positioned himself off of the line of march. He knew that they'd be coming back. About 50 yards. And when they came back, what Sam didn't anticipate, was they, that they would already be so shot up that they would have out what's called flankers. Now, 50 yards today doesn't sound like much to us, but in those days with firearms, 50 yards was uh, it was, it was a hefty shot. Those flankers came right in on top of Sam that day, and Sam took one down with his rifle, and he took two more down with his pistols, and then they overran Sam. They bayoneted Sam Whitfield 13 times. I don't forget this is an 83-year-old man. Would you believe that Sam survived that bayoneting and they carried him back to his house? Now you can really hear it, can't you? I told you not to go out there. But Sam recovered from those wounds. And to Sam's dying day, when he was asked, Would you have done anything differently, Sam? No, I, I still do it. I still do it. And this is the thing with our faith that regardless of what we're faced with, God's not going to throw us a curveball we can't handle. We have the devotions. Implement them. When it comes to the prudent man who's faced with an emergency circumstance like his developing us, moving across the spectrum, yeah, it can be scary at times. But you've got your faith. What can you really do to hurt us? As long as we keep that reference point of our faith the focus. They can't do anything to hurt us. They'll just kill our body. I know it's easy to say then. We'll know when the time comes that we're faced with some critical decisions. We'll find out then what each one of us will do. But at least we've been given what we need to have to hold on. But let's not use that as a kind of a spiritual cover to pull up over us and abdicate other duties and responsibilities. Let's use it as the foundation to carry out what the rest of what we're taught from the faith when it comes to social doctrine and Catholic action. Folks, pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our soldiers. They're the ones really caught in the ice. And if you could include a footnote for Don Julius, I would be grateful for that also. And thank you very much for publishing us.